0: Baku, there is a fountain from which oil springs in great abundance, in as much as 100 shiploads might be taken from it at one time. This oil is not good to use with food, but it is good to burn and is also used to anoint camels that have the mange. Now, I know there's a lot of very smart, well educated people listening to this show. And so surely some of you, somebody out there can tell me who said that, who said that thing that I just said, because obviously those were not my words. I will give you a hint. Um, uh, let's see, I'll give you a hint. It's from the 13th century that puts it in the 1200s. For those of you who still get confused about that whole numbered century problem. I know, I know it throws me sometimes, but anyway, it was the 13th century, which puts it in the 1200s. I'll give you an even closer hint. It's in the late Twelve hundred. Somebody said that on the confines toward Baku. There is a fountain from which oil springs. Now, I'm going to let that sit there for a minute. While, while, while you're trying to remember what great famous person said that, I got to go to something else, which is. Now, this is not the main thing for today. Uh, however, however, it did catch my attention this morning in the Wall Street Journal. So I feel like, and, and naturally, it flows right in along with it. The things we talk about here on the show. So I got to share it with you. And let's see, where is it? Ah, yes, here we go. Dad, <laughs> yeah, you're gonna love this one. All right, here we are. the The headline says, the surprising new source, the surprising new source of lithium for batteries. Now, we all know that, you know, at least for the moment, I mean, we're working on other types of batteries, but but batteries need lithium, and people need a lot of batteries. It turns out, and and so uh, and uh, some of you may have seen the horrible pictures of the lithium mines, and um, and also uh, which which are clearly not good for the environment, and um, and it can only be found in so many places, and and uh, and and the places where it can be found the most are places where let's just say we have some geopolitical concerns. So it turns out. It turns out, ladies and gentlemen, that there is a new surprising source for lithium batteries. And this is where it is. Uh, Let's see. First, First paragraph. Very first paragraph. It's right here. It's right here in the first paragraph. They don't make you wait. It says in the Wall Street Journal, "...large troves of lithium will be needed to make the batteries for growing numbers of electric cars on the road. To find new supplies, companies and researchers are turning to an unexpected source." Oil and gas reservoirs. I will let you spend a moment composing yourself. <laughs> I'm going to need a moment myself. I should also, uh, I, I should also comment that if it sounds like there are any odd uh, uh, pauses or breaks in the show today, uh, it, it's it's not because uh, it's not because I'm being censored. It's because uh, I, I've been trying to get over a cold. The last few days, and it's the kind that just lingers with the coughing and all the rest. And so, uh, occasionally, uh, especially now that I'm talking, uh, which is why, by the way, I know I'm a couple of days late with this episode, and uh, you didn't want me to do it a couple of days ago. That's all I'm going to say. And and occasionally now, I still uh, I, there may there may be one or two coughing fits that ensue. So I will be sure to cut those out. So uh, in in spite of my usual my usual style of just letting you hear everything that happens, we're going to cut those out today. So. Now, back to the thing that isn't the thing, but I thought was interesting. It turns out that we might be able to pull lithium. Now, it's not, it's, not, uh, lithium, it's not like the lithium itself is found in the oil and gas reservoirs. And so the article does a really nice job of explaining this. In fact, there's even a, a nicely drawn diagram of how, a, uh, how, direct, direct, <laughs> how direct direct lithium extraction works. And, uh, and, uh, there's a little diagram here. It shows you basically what happens is the salt water that, uh, uh, well, the whole thing is tied. The reason why there's might be lithium, why, why oil and gas reservoirs might be a source for lithium is, uh, why don't I just read it to you instead of me babbling. Let's see. Um, uh, these oil and gas sites harbor, not only hydrocarbons, but also brine, That contains metals, including sodium, calcium, and some lithium. Okay, so there's some lithium there, but it's not like you just pull it out. Um, Let's see. When drillers poke holes into oil-saturated formations, yeah, we know about that, the brine flows back to the surface, and uh, so we know all about that too. So it turns out that uh, they uh, they can extract lithium from this saltwater brine. Let's see, anything else interesting in here? Talking about the demand for lithium jumping up. Yeah, we know all that. Um, there's a couple of companies that are already working on this. In fact, you know, this might not be news for some of you, because uh, I know that a lot of listeners are actually working in the industry, and so therefore you may be working on one of these projects. For example, Devon Energy is uh, working on it uh, in the Permian, and uh, somebody else called Standard Lithium is working on some stuff, E3 Lithium. Anyway, there's companies working on this, but the whole... The irony, folks, the irony is it might be that in order to supply the stuff we need for all the batteries that we want to create that are going to replace the need for uh, the evil oil and gas empire, uh, that in fact we might go back into the uh, the places where we got the oil and gas from and, uh, and and not only that, but in keeping with the theme of this show, it is the ingenuity of the oil and gas folks who uh, not only – I mean, you know, not only did we uh, figure out a way to deliver – uh, deliver all the all the oil and gas that the world needs to provide energy for the last hundred years, but there's a little bonus at the end, folks. And guess what? You can also get the lithium there too. And thanks to all of the uh, the smart people in the industry, uh, now they're they're taking a lot of the same science and engineering that uh, was discovered and developed and perfected in in oil and gas, and they're just going to apply it to uh, lithium. Anyway that's all i have to say about that and we're just going to leave that right there but it's a great story to tell at your next cocktail party all right uh, back to the main thing the main thing ah yes 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 the main thing i'll tell you okay did anybody guess the the uh, who said on the confines toward baku is the oil that they anoint camels <laughs> mange it was marco polo marco polo in a travel report in the uh, in the 13th century uh, now I, I think i actually found a quote in there was some other book that you know because I don't think the, tra- the tra- Marco Polo's travel report is perhaps has not survived, but it was quoted in some other book in the 1800s, and anyway, that's how we know it today. So, uh, so he's so we we'll go back to the beginning of this quote on the confines toward Baku, where where you might ask is uh, is Baku? Well, and I don't know if I'm saying it correctly. So, if you're from Baku, I apologize, and if you are from Baku, then you know that Baku is is uh, is in fact in the country of, um, and, and I, this is how we say it over here, Azerbaijan. Is that the right way to say it? I think it is. That's how people say it here. Anyway, it is one of those countries that, uh, was a country and then it wasn't because it was part of the Soviet Union and now it's a country again. And, uh, and that's the story. That's the story I want to talk about today. So, um, I want to go to, uh, I want to go to my... Groundbreakers. Remember, I talked about Groundbreakers, that book that I've had for a couple of years, and I'm now just beginning to appreciate. Uh, it it sounds. It sounds like it, should, it could be a, a James Bond movie, though, doesn't it? Groundbreakers. You know, you got, you got, Goldfinger and Moonraker. and Groundbreakers. I think it could. In fact, you could even, you could even just use the same theme song from Goldfinger. It could be Groundbreaker. Right. Couldn't you do that? I think I think I could see it. I think I could see it coming together, uh, although the broccoli family may disagree with me. Um, let's see. Chapter one, right here in chapter one, which is entitled beginnings. Clever. Clever. These engineer guys that write books. Chapter one beginnings. Uh, and, and in the first section, um, there's a little story here the first wells. Now, you've heard me talk about uh, before the Drake well. Of course, we all know the Drake well was the the first really commercialized well, certainly the first one in the United States. And, you know, there's the picture and it's famous and all that. Um, uh, but however, however, before the Drake well, there was uh, there was this on July 14th, 1848. Uh, let's see. Uh, Oh, well, well, so, so this is, this, this comes in on the, on the tale of, you know, there were seeps, right? So uh, we talked about that before, how people just, oil just oozed out of the ground and, um, uh, and, you know, like basically you would dig a, dig a pit, dig a shallow pit and wait for the oil to accumulate in there and then bail it out, uh, you know, with whatever, whatever you use for bailing. Um, And, uh, and that was pretty much how it was done folks, uh, you know, back to it's whatever it is, right. Since China in the, in the fourth century or something like that. Um, back to Marco Polo. I know I'm jumping around a little bit. It's okay. Just uh, by the way, speaking of jumping around, I know last week's episode was a little out there. It was, it was, it was kind of chaotic with the event and all these different people saying things. Anyway, thanks for hanging in there with me on that one. I needed to, we needed to, we needed to provide some coverage over there and make sure that people know what's happening. Cause it's a good thing. But now, now we're back to the regular show. So, uh, you can tell all your friends, uh, tune in, uh, Marco Polo, uh, he, so he, he was traveling and he ended up, uh, on the Absheron Peninsula in what is now Azerbaijan. So this is a, this is a peninsula that, uh, if I remember correctly, it's a little peninsula that sticks out in the middle of the, is that the Caspian Sea there or something like that. Right. And, uh, it's a nice part of the world. It doesn't get too hot. It doesn't get too cold. And, um, and there's this little peninsula out there. I think it's it's the Caspian Sea. And uh north north of Iran, right? Kinda uh west of Georgia. No, east east of Georgia, the country, not not the state. And uh so anyway, Marco, Marco shows up there. And uh and he, and, he, and he sees this, this oil and he's like this stuff is amazing and, uh, and but that's how they were getting it out right it was they were like it was seeping into these pits and holes and things and people are digging it out until now we're back to where I was a second ago. July 14th, 1848 and a far more efficient method of extraction was set in motion and uh, and so what happened in, in 1848? Is uh, count uh, somebody 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 looks like a really long uh, Russian name who was the uh, uh, the in the, the charge over there at this time? He wrote a memo, and uh, to to all his staff, and he said, "I hereby authorize oil exploration in the uh, in the Bibi Abat sector. Bibi Abat, Bibi Abat, Bibi Abat. I, I don't know." I don't know how to say it, but it's probably the, one of the coolest names I've ever heard for anything. Bibi Abat, where are you from? Bibi Abat, uh, in the Baku district, which I think now is also like the capital of Azerbaijan. The Caspian Sea, right? Yeah, yeah. The Caspian Sea, uh, by means of earth drills and allocate a thousand rubles for this purpose. So anyway, the government. <laughs> this is your first. This folks is your very first example of government-backed oil exploration. Now, uh, he didn't actually do the work though. That was done by this guy. Uh, whose, whose name is Major Alex, Alexiv, Alexiv. Now, I don't know if Major is his title or his name, but anyway, that's the only... I, I, I tried to find this guy, some other reference to this guy, and the only thing that ever says is that he was this guy, he was the guy who succeeded in drilling a 21-meter well. 21 meters, that's... uh. Let's see, over here in uh, U.S. of A, America, that's going to be something like, uh, what is that, three? Is 67 feet, something like that? Anyway, somewhere between 65 and 70 feet. And he struck a small quantity of crude. So he gets he gets, uh, 60, 70 feet in the ground, and up come the ground come a bubbling crude. So uh, <laughs> you can tell I still have my... Uh, the, the cold is still with me, folks. That's why I've got my. Uh, it's not. I'm not trying to do a very white impersonation. It's just. Uh, it's just how it goes right now, um, and uh, yeah. So the first oil well had seen the light of day. Now, um, th- th- this. How how did he drill it? You might ask. How exactly did he drill it? Well, we're gonna get to that. But first, but first, let's think about this. This was in 1848. So, I want to give you some context on you know what else was happening in eighteen forty eight just so we can properly have this you know I- I- a historical reference because over in Azerbaijan, some guy was was setting off the beginning of the commercial oil and gas industry, uh, or at least he was figuring out he was figuring out how to how to produce it in a much more efficient manner, uh, and it was going to change the world. so what else what else was happening? Uh, let's see well all right, in eighteen twenty six, matches were invented. So uh, so when when Mr. Uh, Alekseev was, uh, or Major, excuse me, Major Alekseev, was uh, drilling his well, uh, it was only, he'd only been enjoying matches for a few years at that point. The typewriter came along in 1829, which is actually a little bit earlier than I would have expected, but nonetheless, and the sewing machine a year later in 1830. Uh, 1831, the Mechanical Reaper. So, you know, that's the thing that they pull behind the... The well, behind a horse at the time, uh, and it had like had to spread out across the a piece of the field and it would and it would harvest crops mechanically. So, we're you know, this is like this is this is early industrial age here. Um, the bicycle in 1839. So Major Alexiv, uh, you know, he was—he he, whether he rode his bicycle to work every day, I don't know, but he'd only had the opportunity to do that for less than 10 years at this point. Uh, the Telegraph. Mr. Morse invented the Telegraph in 1834, and uh, shortly after he invented Morse Code, because until we had that, there was really nothing you could do with the Telegraph. 1837, the postage stamp, which I'm sure we're all happy for. And in 1844, and here's my favorite, 1844 just 3 years before the beginning the very the very beginning of commercial oil production in 1844 the new york hotel installs the first private bath in an american hotel so i say this just to say you know this was this is a while ago this is a while ago and uh and it, this was uh th- this was these were the other great new inventions coming out at the time and they're things that we take for granted and they've been around a long time uh, much like the oil now what's next oh I told you that I would go oh, I, oh how does it work how did he do it how did he do it so how does this thing work um, you ask so let's go back to the book here we go back to page 7 the story of Major Alexiv Alex, Alexiv yeah I got that drilling drilling the Bibi Bibiabat. Bibi <laughs> I can't laugh because it makes me cough. Uh, drilling this, uh, the well in this place was exhausting work. Well, I bet it was. Uh, I bet it was. The technique... Now, listen carefully, folks. And some of, you, uh, some of you have been around the industry for a while. You'll say, I know what that is. The technique was to hit the earth with a sharp, heavy chisel suspended by a rope from a hand-operated oscillating beam. Then remove the cuttings with a kind of scoop and bucket arrangement. This rudimentary setup, what was it? Anyone? Anyone? Called cable tool drilling. Yes, we have the beginning of cable tool drilling right here in 1848. And uh, it had been practiced. Well, this. okay, so it's not the beginning. Um Well, it's the beginning for oil. It had been practiced since ancient times drilling for salt water in China and Europe. So Major Alexiv, being the ingenious fellow that he was, he said, look at how they're getting water out of the ground over there. Uh, Salt water in China and Europe. I I could use that on oil. And that is what he did. And that uh, and it worked. It worked, folks. Uh, Let's see. What does it say here? Um, Well, it doesn't say anything else about him except Uh, Except that a decade after his success, so 10 years later, oil seeps in North America began attracting attention. And then, of course, we get to the first uh, well drilled uh, uh, in America by uh, Edwin Drake, which I don't remember the name, uh, the uh, the name. (laughs) I don't remember the year. It was like 1859, 1860, something like that. So uh, 10 years prior, Major Aleksev drilled this uh, this well using cable tool, cable tool drilling. Now, I'm sure, you know, it, it looked a little different, but it does describe here the hand-operated oscillating beam. So uh, so, so that was there. Uh, so it wasn't that much different. It was very similar. Technology, the engineering, very similar, and uh, obviously improved over the years. But nonetheless, there it was. Now, I'm going to give you another perspective on this cable tool drilling business. And uh, this is from... This is from a book. Yes, this is from the book called "Voices from the Oil Fields," which you may remember. I used to I used to read some stuff out of this book occasionally for the tech show. Uh, it's, one of, it's one of my favorites. There's some there's some fun stuff in here, folks, because it's a bunch of essays. Not essays. It's a bunch of interviews. Uh, at, you know, tr- actual interviews. Uh, they've been edited and and stuff a little bit, but uh, from with people in the oil fields in the 1930s and um. There were some characters. Now, this one particular guy, uh, and and this is from uh, a chapter four, which is entitled "The First Driller." As you might guess, chapter five is called "The Second Driller." But chapter four, the first driller, and I don't remember this guy's name in here. Uh, I don't want to keep you waiting while I scan the text, but this was one of my favorite stories, and uh, from this book, and uh, um, and I'm going to tell you something. There's I love this quote here. uh-oh, things are beeping on me. That means I'm probably supposed to have been finished by now, but uh, but I'm not. So we're just going to keep going. A few more minutes. And, uh, okay, yeah, he says this. He says, a good cable tool, man, is just about the most highly skilled worker you'll find. Besides having a feel for the job, knowing what's going on thousands of feet underground, just from the moment, oh, phew. Sorry. I'm not starting over. Yeah, I am going to start. No, I'm not going to start over. So he's a the cable tool guy's the most highly skilled. Besides having a feel for the job, knowing what's going on. Now this is the good part: knowing what's going on thousands of feet under the ground, just from the movement of the cable. Just, just, just by feeling the tension and the movement on the cable. He knows what's going on down there. And uh, let's see what else he's got. He's got to be something of a carpenter, a steam fitter, an electrician and a damn good mechanic. And uh, oh, and as for rigging, which is uh, tying knots, folks, just, you know, um, uh, as for rigging, a cable tool driller knows more about knots and splices than any six sailors you can find. Well, I'm sure the sailors would have something to say about that. But nonetheless, he knows his knots now. Uh, So, so there was some, you know, this wasn't like we just hoist up this giant uh, thing and, you know, this, this, this giant ground pounding thing and just let it keep falling on the ground over and over again until the oil comes out no 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 no. there was skill involved and this is 100 years ago so 100 years ago a guy got his, his hand out holding on to a cable uh while, while it's going up and down well he's not holding on to it well he, he checks it and, and uh and 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 here's how it works now the same guy in this uh the same guy in this interview what was his name i don't think he i don't maybe didn't, maybe his name wasn't recorded anyway um he's in oklahoma and uh, he's talking about his first job that he got in California in 1908. Now this interview is in 1939, so he's an old hand at this point. He's been doing this for 30 years, and uh, and he mentions getting a, getting one of his first jobs um, on a cable rig, and uh, and so then he stops and he says, oh, "Let me explain. Let me explain to you something, folks." He says, uh, "At the uh, he says I should have explained at the start that there's two kinds of drilling machinery." Now here we go. This is this is it 1939 here's your little tutorial and this is still true today <laughs> still true today two kinds of drilling with mach- machinery there's cable tools which used to be used so <laughs> there's cable tools which used to used to, to be used used to be used much as they were called standard <laughs> i don't even i I'm, I'm not going back over that anyway there's cable tools and the rotary rig, they both make holes in the ground, but they do it in different ways. Now, to explain further, a cable tool derrick is made out of wood, generally, and it ain't as tall as the rotary because it don't have as much weight to support. It only has one boiler too, where the rotary has three or four, or more. Uh, at the top of the cable tool derrick, so these, so those old pictures you see the like the wooden derricks, you know, cable tools. At the top is the crown block. It's on a deadline straight up with the hole you're drilling. If you ain't, you've got a crooked hole. Now, so this is important. I know, get get past the jargon or the, uh, uh, not the jargon, but anyway, you know what I'm saying. At the top is the crown block. It's on a deadline straight up with the hole you're drilling. If it ain't, you've got a crooked hole. (laughs) Nobody wants a crooked hole. Now, uh uh so again, not this, this is not just uh, some some uh, somebody out there pounding on the ground with a big rock. Uh, this is this is very specific. It has to be straight up from the hole, uh, or else, you know, the crooked old thing. Uh, the block has cables running through it, connecting up with your baler and tools at one end and winding up down here in your machiner- machinery, <laughs> machinery, easy for you to say, around your different reels at the other, this thing hanging about halfway between the crown block and the floor is a casing block. So he's going over all the parts and pieces, and there are parts and pieces. And, uh, and then he says, I love this, this overgrown teeter-totter is a walking beam. It's got a turn screw with a drill cable running through it and fastening onto the tools at one end. The other end hitches onto a revolving arm that makes the beam move up and down and lets the tool raise and drop. Now, um, just listening to his explanation, uh, you can see that uh, this is no simple affair. Again, the ingenuity comes out. Uh, now, I'm going to cut to a. We're going to cut to a little bit more straightforward explanation because sometimes these voices from the oil field guys can be hard to follow. So let's go to something a little bit more, uh, a little bit more, uh, you know, direct. Uh, Cable tool drilling, also known as percussion drilling. Uh, Let's see, what do we got? This is from uh, somebody called the oil field team. Oh, I got to share this with you. So I never, I haven't, uh, so this is new to me. It's a website, somebody called the oil field team, which sounds cool. Sounds sounds like I should know who they are, except I don't. And uh, and so I went, I went. I'm like, well, who are these guys? And I went to the about us, right? Because you always got to go to the about us on a website. And uh, and here's here's what it says. God, I love these things. If you if you have if you or anyone you know are affiliated with Oilfield Team, OilfieldTeam.com, please get in touch with me because I would really like to meet you. Here's what it says about us. Oilfield Team is a community of oilfield workers worldwide. We help you to keep abreast of the news, find a job, and learn many useful things. Also, here you can find many interesting photos and videos. If you need to calculate something, you can use the online calculator. We hope that it will make your life easier. <laughs> that is the best about us that I have ever read in my entire... And, and I was there at the beginning of the internet, folks, so I've read all the about uses that there are. And that one is the best. And it ends with, we hope that it will make your life easier. And I just wish that everybody was in the same business as oil field team. But they have a nice little uh, explanation here. Cable tool, percussion percussion drilling, another another name for it. And uh, it is it now. I'm just, now we're going to put it in plain English. Although... Uh, I love the other guy from Voices from the Oil Field. Cable tool drilling is a method of drilling in which a hole is made by the repeated blows generated by lifting and dropping a heavy chisel bit on rocks or underground formations. The heavy, usually blunt chisel bit is the tool. And the cable could be made of something. In the early days, it was manila rope. Um, and then it became like steel, steel strands, wire. That's where we get the term wire line. Uh, cable tool drilling is one of the earliest known methods used to drill for hydrocarbon fluids. Well, we already know that. And uh, and then it goes on to explain some other things. Um, creating holes with a cable tool is a slow proce- process, especially if deep holes must be drilled. The drilling process involves connecting the cable. To a walking beam or a spring pole. That's you, you, that's another thing. There were the spring poles, um, and and we don't have time to get into that. But uh, uh, and and that's how it's done now. Here's a little fun bit. There are cable cable tool drilling is still is still in use today in some cases. So this thing that was invented for salt water in in China and Europe, I don't know, like a thousand years ago, whatever it is. And that, and that was used to, to drill the first real oil well in 1848. Uh, We're still doing it folks. We're still doing it. Um, Let's see here. Uh, Of course the modern, the rotary rigs, uh, the rotary rigs, which is, you know, the, what we're most familiar with. uh, That's most of the oil and gas well drilling in the world today. However, Cable tool drilling is still being applied when drilling really shallow wells, most especially water wells or wells where dynamites are dynamites are dropped for oil and gas exploration purposes. And of course, as you know, exploding dynamites generates waves used to obtain surface seismic data, and we also call it percussion drilling. So, uh, so still using cable tool rigs out there, and uh, and. And as they say, a good cable tool man is hard to find. Now, that's 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 the main thing. So it was created, it was improved upon, it was perfected by by a bunch of really smart people in this industry over the course of you know. I think, I don't know when the things started shifting from the cable tools to the um, to rotary rigs. Probably right around that in the 1930s, The guy that was. Uh, in the interview that we were reading because he was explaining how there's two different kinds and the rotary rigs were the small, the, the newer ones. And, uh, so, so, uh, but we're still using it today. Now, a couple of other little, uh, couple of other little tidbits here. And I'm going to, uh, and I'm going to let you go on about your life. Um, let's see. The first thing is a story about a couple of guys known as the Ruffner brothers. Now, if anybody sounds like they ought to be in the oil business, it's the Ruffner brothers and the Ruffner brothers. Let's see, where were they? Um, David and Joseph Ruffner in 1806. Um, now I know, I know this is before 1848, so it's not actually, this is not actually an oil well, but, uh, but in the spirit of oil field ingenuity, I feel like we got to we got to take our hats off to these two guys, the Ruffner brothers. They were in, uh, on the bank of the Kanawha river near Charleston, West Virginia. And they were digging a, uh, they were digging a, a water, a water well, uh, salt, salt, well, they were, salt water well. Uh, and let's see, 1806. Oh no, they began in 1806 and, uh, they completed it in 1808. So, uh, two years, roughly. Well, January of 1808 doesn't say when in 1806. So maybe it was a year and a half, at least a year and a half, maybe close to two years. And this is the first adequately documented spring pole. Well, in America, remember we mentioned it could be the walking beam or the spring pole. Uh, the spring pole sounds kind of, or is kind of like what it sounds like. Um, so you can look that up if you're interested, but the point is David and Joseph Ruffner. Now they were digging a salt well and, uh, And as I mentioned, it took a while. And let's see. They reached a total depth. You ready for this? Their total depth of approximately 58 feet. feet. And you're thinking, geez, it took them a year and a half, two years, just to go 58 feet. Well, guess what? 40 feet of it was in bedrock. Bedrock. Which is exactly what it sounds like. So these guys were persistent. And, uh, and with the cable tool dropping that chisel bit on the ground over and over again, making sure that I, I assume that they also did not want to crooked hole. whole. So doing all the, all the right things that our that our friend there from the other story told us, um, they went, they spent a year and a half, two years, 58 feet, 40 feet was in bedrock. And, uh, and, and hence the Ruffner brothers were the inventive pioneers of drilling in North America. So, uh, and, and here's, this is fun. They even tubed the well with wooden pipe. To prevent weaker salt water from mixing with the brine of their main pay zone. So already we see the engineering going into controlling what's happening with the fluids and the, the solids and the things down under the ground. Which of course we, you know, we have all sorts of fascinating ways of doing that these days. But even back then, in 1806, the ingenuity. I can I can figure out not only how to drill through 40 feet of bedrock but I'm going to I'm going to do stuff down there to to make things go the way that I want them to do and of course this feat spurred the salt industry and eventually led to spring pole drilling for oil so there you have it now the second thing the second little uh, little, little little sidebar on this whole topic that I want to share is the deepest cable tool well in the world. Now, remember, we said that really this method is best for shallow, shallower holes. Uh, however, there is a deepest in the world, and it's kind of a fun story. Uh, and it goes like this. The world's deepest cable tool well was abandoned June 3rd, 1953. Yeah, I know it doesn't start out very good, actually, because it was abandoned. Nobody wants to hear a story like that. But hang in there because uh, the reason why it was abandoned, it was abandoned by the New York State Natural Gas Corporation at a depth of. Are you ready? We need like a drum roll or something like this. So they had to give up is the thing. And there were good reasons why they had to give up. But this is where they gave up at a depth of. 11,145 feet. Uh, But then what happened was uh, a water zone filled the hole to 5,500 feet. So that does suck. There's no question. I mean, they got this thing down past 11,000 feet. Now think about this, folks. That's more than two miles in the... Is it more... It's roughly, it's right around two miles, 5,300 and something. So yeah, yeah, it's more than two miles. So they get two miles with a cable tool, thunk, 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 cable tool, two miles in the ground, and then, damn it, the water starts rushing in and it fills it up to 5,500. So they lose like half, they lose half of it to water. And, uh, and at that point they, they threw in the towel and they surrendered and they said, uh, this is we can't, this is too impractical to continue. Um, and, uh, why were they drilling this well? You might ask, which is, uh, and here, and here's, and here's why, uh, it was drilled to test the, or the, or or Sicani. Oris, can, Oris, can, Oris canny. The Oris canny sand and the unexplored formations occurring below this producing formation. It was located in uh, town of Van Eaton, Chemung County, New York, 18 miles south of... Okay, who cares? Approximately $195,000 was expended. 190, this is in 1953. $195,000 was expended on the uh, operation. Uh, it actually started in... 18, in 19, 18, 1948. So from 1948, June of 1948 to June of 1953, they spent five years on this thing. And uh, it was drilled in two stages. Uh, the first section was completed in 1949. So a year later, and so they got 8,000 feet in the first year um, with the first section. And, um, uh, but they did not encounter any natural gas in commercial quantities. So they kept going. Um, and, uh, so they didn't plug the well at this depth, uh, but they shut it down, uh, in a while. So they, they did, they didn't plug it, but they shut it down for a while so that they could move the rig and bring in, uh, the, the next, the next operation. So in 1951, here comes the, uh, the, the new rig that's going to drill deeper. And that commenced uh, and continued for another couple of years. And then the water came in and the party, as they say, was over. However, the party was not over because that same spirit of determination and dedication to solving hard problems and not giving up and figuring things out and all the things that we heard in the All the stories, uh, all of these stories today and and many others, all of that is what galvanized the character of the oil and gas industry. And even today, in spite of, you know, all of the politics and the economic complexities and the new energy transition and all the things that are happening, um, even today, the spirit of the cable tool driller is still alive and well.